0: Okay, well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to another episode of This Week in the News. It's now just This Week in the News. Uh, The New York Times has left us. We still appreciate it, but we're working the whole field these days. And um, yeah, so you can find all my stuff at dailyvolver.com. I want to thank Steve McIntosh and Josh Leonard and the gang at the Institute for Cultural Evolution for inviting me on to do this and posting the episodes on the Post-Progressive Post, which is a internet publication you should check out. All right. So just looking at the news, <laughs> aren't we all mad at Jesse Smollett? I am. He is outside of my circle of moral compassion. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's one thing to pull a scam to get attention, and and then another thing to turn on the guys you roped into the scam in the first place, if you'll pardon the expression, roped, and, you know, risk them going to prison and losing their lives and reputation. It's just despicable. (laughs) So, as a, you know, a, a, a spotty practitioner of integral practice, you know, the, so the red flag goes up. So I, he's a disowned part of myself. I, 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 he, like I said, he's outside of my circle of moral consideration. And when you realize that, then you're supposed to, you know, try to take a look and see if you can touch into this part of yourself, your inner Jussie. We all have one, presumably. And, you know, uh, there's, um, you know, if if I think of, you know, just basic red behavior, warrior behavior, it's either you or me. But then I think the red warrior culture has codes of honor that you'd rather die before this, you know, dishonor. And, And it keeps the group together. And, you know, I... I know that th- there's an inner psychopath in here somewhere. It's just about Jeff, the gr- greater glory of Jeff. And, um, you know, I will titrate him in occasionally as I do some introspection when I get to it. But in the meantime, I am at the stage of conscious incompetence with Jesse Smollett, Smolet. And um, conscious incompetence is at least I realize I'm not letting him in, and um, that's uh, better than unconscious incompetence, where I just wouldn't let him in because I think that it's uh, just all about him. All right, and that's enough of Jesse. I think we got justice for Jesse. What I wanted to look at—it's sort of a bigger subject today—is the topic of techno-optimism, which uh, you know a lot of people dance around because it goes against the prevailing green sensibility or, or progressive sensibility that the world is just going to hell. And, you know, I remember <laughs> I did my uh, master's program at Naropa uh, in uh, Buddhist um, Masters of Divinity. And our uh, I, I remember that it seemed like the highest um, uh, service was to sit with the suffering of the ever darkening world. I mean, that was a big part of what we were trained to do. And um, yeah, and that's green. And there's, you know, there's there's it it gets you somewhere. It's the deconstruction of all hope, <laughs> you know, so that presumably something new can arise. And I, I, I do think that happens and and you know, that's part of why I'm into integral. That's the certain post-progressivism, because I want to let the good stuff in. and so there's a couple significant um, uh, essays essentially that I ran into in the last week that I thought I would uh, share. One is from Tom Friedman in the New York Times. So he's well known and he's a dean of the intelligentsia, senior dean of the intelligentsia. And he, he, he wrote a column and this is, when was it, November 16th. Uh, So, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, it was after the Glasgow summit. And the title is, Want to Save the Earth? We Need a Lot More Elon Musks. In fact, I'm going to share my screen and show you these two articles for those of you who are on video and watching live. So there's the one on the left, Want to Save the Earth, We Need a Lot More Elon Musks by Tom Friedman, New York Times. And then this is the second one. And this is by a guy I'd never heard of, Noah Smith, who is an economist and apparently a very popular personality on social media. And he wrote an article called Techno Optimism for 2022, What You Should Be Excited About. And this was published just two days ago. And, uh, you know, I was quite jazzed by it. So I'm gonna share a little bit of those. So here we are back. Um, So let me just read a little bit from Tom Friedman's article. He says, if I am brutally honest, there is only one motto I would give to the the movement to stem climate change after the Glasgow summit. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die most of today's leaders will tell you that the world is ending. So at Glasgow, they've all decided to go out on a limb and commit their successor's successor to deliver emissions-free electricity by 2030, 2040, 2050, any date that doesn't require them to ask their citizens to do anything painful today. This is not serious. Not when you're talking about reversing all the ways we've destabilized earth systems, ice caps, ocean currents, coral reefs, tropical forests, density of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. This is pretend. We will not decarbonize the global economy with the lowest common denominator action plan of 195 countries, not possible. So, and then he talks about, you know, the, you know, he gets at these leaders are doing the best they can, and that's what I would actually say. I'm sort of pro hypocrisy in the sense that hypocrisy is a stage on the path, and it's better than not talking about it at all. And uh, you know, getting these people together is, no matter what the outcomes, it's a good thing. Just in cutting the groove of the morphic field of humanity in terms of how we think. You know, it's like Ken Wilber says about modernity is that people thought modern thoughts for 300 years before the French Revolution, before anything happened. So, and I don't think we're anywhere near that kind of a a time frame here. But Tom Friedman goes on, he says, we will get there only when father profit and risk taking entrepreneurs produce transformative technologies that enable ordinary people to have extraordinary impacts on our climate without sacrificing much. And that's a lot in that sentence. Transformative technologies that enable ordinary people like you and me to have extraordinary impacts on climate without sacrificing much by just being good consumers of these good new technologies. And I like that and it, it reminds me of I remember, remember this from you know I don't know whenever Cheney Dick Cheney was vice president at the, the turn of the century here, um, and he he said remember when we really hated Dick Cheney <laughs> when the Cheneys weren't like the good guys anyway uh, he so he was the bogeyman I was big environmentalism and religion in that in those days and I remember he said something that just incensed me he said that conservation may be a virtuous private practice, but it's bad public policy. And I was just thought that was a horrible thing. And uh, I get it now. I get it that people, you know, as, you know, climate continues to get weird and we have our drought here and, you know, it's warm in December, people get more consequences. You know, they raise their what they're willing to sacrifice and discomfort But that's not going to happen fast enough. We sort of have to leapfrog that and, um, you know, get with uh, making it easy for people. So he talks about that and he says, the good news is it's happening. And then here's two examples. And these are Friedman's two examples. The first is planet.com, P-L-A-N-E-T, planet.com. Planet has some 200 earth imaging satellites in orbit, most the size of a loaf of bread to observe the entire global land mass every 24 hours in high resolution. It makes the changes unfolding on the ground, quote, visible, accessible, and actionable. No government in the world has this capacity. With these new deep transparency tools, we can begin to reshape capitalism. Capitalism has produced enormous wealth, but in part because it has been able to treat nature as self-replenishing, hyper-abundant and free. That will not be so easy anymore. Planet satellites can track a country's trees, farmlands, coral reefs, coastal mangroves, smokestack emissions with incredible precision and provide transparency to show which trees are being illegally logged by whom and whose factories are violating their carbon dioxide emission promises. That data can then be used in theory to trigger consumer boycotts spread through social networks against the government or the food or mining company doing the damage. And it can stimulate foreign aid investment in the country or community, thereby protecting its natural resources. And they mentioned that Planet is tracking deforestation in 24 rainforests now, including Brazil, and using Planet's pinpoint accuracy, the Brazilian government has vastly increased the number of cease and desist citations against illegal loggers. So that's great, mentions that even more important, Planet's commercial business helps enable farmers to do precision agriculture, by giving them fine grain images of their crops so they know exactly where to add water and fertilizer and when to harvest. This may have the biggest ecosystem impact of all. So that's one, and I like that because it's sort of outside the box. And I like that um, making this information public so that consumers can aggregate it and, and, and these companies get consequences so that nature isn't as free as they thought, and I think that's a, you know, sort of a nice organic way of moving the ball forward. The other company, Tom Friedman says, I am watching, is Helion Energy, based in Redmond, Washington, which is working on the world's first fusion power plant. If nuclear fusion can be replicated on earth, and this is the, the energy of the sun, it's not, Um, nuclear fission which is the atoms uh, fusion could provide virtually limitless clean safe and affordable energy he talks about the current generation of helion system is 50 megawatts it's the size of a shipping container and the generator can power around 40,000 homes and that is um, what they're working on he says is helion the holy grail i don't know there are other companies with promising approaches, all racing to the same goal. I just know this, we got into this hole thanks to the worst of capitalism, letting companies privatize their gains from despoiling the environment and warming the climate while socializing the losses among all of us. And that is, um, I think that's an important thing, you know, as integralists, we're not anti-capitalism. We want to tease apart what's pernicious about capitalism from what is you know, energizing and creative about capitalism. And that's what he's talking about. He says, we can get out of this mess by accelerating the best of American capitalism. We need to re-energize our innovation ecosystem to where government funds basic research that pushes the boundaries of physics, chemistry, and biology, and then combines that innovation with immigration policies that amass the world's best pools of engineering talent and unleashes that talent propelled by risk takers to invent new clean technologies to slow global warming at the warp speed and scale we need. Okay, I'm good with that. Um, I, 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 I snag a little bit on the immigration policies that amass the world's best pools of engineering talent. I, I'm all for amassing the world's best pools of engineering talent. And I think particularly now, we have found ways to do that virtually uh, because I just wanna note as a world-centric citizen of the world that um, you know, immigration policies that attracts the best to America, uh, the other side of that is a brain drain in developing countries. And um, I do think that technology, I'm surprised he didn't mention it, but technology itself will help solve that problem. So the best uh, people can aggregate uh, without necessarily moving. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. All right. So so then this next uh, article, which I showed a minute ago, is Techno Optimism for 2022, published Tuesday, November 8th and subtitled, What You Should Be Excited About. And this guy is, uh, his name is Noah Smith. Like I said, a big internet personality and economist. I had never heard of him. So he's not a big internet personality to me, but I'm glad he is because what drew me to him was that I was reading Twitter and somebody just quoted him. I'm, I'm not even sure what the context was at this moment but there was three quotes that I read of his and I thought, God, this guy, I don't know if he knows integral or not, but he sure as heck has the fragrance of integral, if you know what I mean. So here are the quotes that uh, caught my attention. He said, and this first one's a little poetic, so I'll try to read it in a way that you get it. A lot of people in America are very anxious about losing their culture and blending into this sort of genericness which we now call whiteness, but we used to just call Americanness, and which I believe we will call Americanness once again, once people know whites are not in charge of it anymore. And I love that. <laughs> you know, this, it, it, it shows the movements of history. That's all I ask, you know. Amer- there are people in America don't want to lose their culture, they don't want to blend into this generic whiteness that we used to just call Americanness, but we will call it Americanness once again once the rest of the people are integrated into it and the whites aren't in charge of it anymore. So I thought, I like you. Second quote, short, culture, colon, it's not a museum, it's a ride. Yes, there's movement, it's scary, it's full of wrong turns and dead end, it's like that wild mouse that they had where you it's like it's the roller coaster where you keep going off the edge that's culture and then this last one is it comes a little bit different angle but very integral again he says amongst a lot of people there is a desire to identify with the greatness of a past empire to think my people were kings and that is so true. I think it's a lot, a, lot, a lot of people. I think it's most people. And it's particularly people who are in, uh, you know, ha- have a cultural identity and people for whom any, you know, this is a mythic impulse. This is that red blue stage of development that all of us need to nurture and have healthy is that, you know, we descend from kings and royalty. And that is, um, there's a truth to it uh, and, um, and people want to identify with it. So I thought, you know, I like you for recognizing that. So anyway, I found my way to him and little did I know that his, uh, his um, uh, column is centered on techno-optimism. And, and I like the sort of frankness with which he uses that term, because again, in our largely green culture, you sort of have to apologize for being uh, you know, optimistic about the creative impulse of the, of the human species, but it is well demonstrated and it's proceeding apace. So that's what he talks about here. And I also wanna say that, um, <clears throat> just in terms of noting how the world is turning, I assume that most of you are aware of a new publishing platform called Substack, which is where a lot of, I think, integrally, you know, there's, there's that just a de facto integral that's arising. People who don't know anything about integral theory and don't even know it exists. But they're just natural integrators and they have a sort of, a, a you know, a feeling of, of movement and, and updraft. And, um, and Substack is a, a great platform because these people can, you know, they have uh, good followings and they're worthwhile and they're productive and they're smart and they can make a really good living on Substack. I just uh, uh, subscribe to this guy's column for $99 a year and I'm happy to do it. And, uh, and you, can, uh, you can also um, subscribe for nothing. Which I'm, I'm thrilled with that model, but I'm also thrilled that you can pay for it. So, you know, this is a, this is, this is a, a new sort of curation of, of, of journalism uh, that bypasses the groupthink and the editorial, um, you know, establishment of the, the major media and of course the major media is uh, you know, nervous about Substack and, you know, They ought to be, I suppose, but let many flowers blossom. Anyway, let me just read a little bit from his column, techno-optimism for 2022, what you should be excited about. He says, I'm massively optimistic for the decade ahead. And he talks about the energy revolution that we're in the middle of, as he says. He says, energy is fundamental to all physical technology. To move atoms around in real space, you need energy. And I always like when we go to first principles, (laughs) and that's what we're doing here, moving atoms around. He outlines history a bit, and he says, the Industrial Revolution had been powered by a move from wood and animal power to coal and then oil. But the next transition to nuclear was stymied because people were too afraid of the risks. We can, excuse me, We can argue about whether that was a mistake all day. I think it probably was, but it's in the rear view mirror now. Uh, And I'm going to comment on that in a second. But he says, fortunately, after the stymieing of nuclear, our scientists and engineers worked very, very hard for a long time and came up with safe, environmentally friendly technologies that are even better in most ways than nuclear, wind and solar, which are now ready for prime time. And, um uh, uh, he, he 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 sort of has a two cheers for nuclear attitude. there's That's a fairly long essay, and I'm not going to get into all of it. Uh, but I do notice that there has been and a, a pretty radical increase in the support for nuclear. In fact, he uh, the the column I was reading that quoted him had a statistic that shows that currently seventy nine percent, of Americans are either somewhat or largely in favor of nuclear, and that's an increase of about 17% in the last two years. So that's pretty significant, and um, I think that uh, nuclear, uh, I'm good for that argument to 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 um, proceed. And and I, I I understand that there's a redesignation in the European Union that redesignates nuclear as environmentally friendly. Um, Sort of maybe mangling that, but there's movement in the nuclear field, and you know if we really want you know big time energy, at least in as for the next uh, generation, that may be where we go, and it looks like it's going to be where we go. So he talks about um, you know cheap solar, cheap wind, cheap storage means that we can see the first large sustained decrease in electricity costs in over half a century. And he talked about how we had, you know, when energy costs decreased, that modernity flourished. And then in the 70s, we leveled that off and all progress was made digitally at that point. And that it's time now to start um, moving more atoms. And he says, people are starting to realize this and speculating about what could be done with cheap, abundant electricity. I offer my thoughts here. And he goes into a lot of ideas, but some of the key ones are desalinas- desalination, de- uh, taking salt out of ocean water and turning it into fresh water. It takes an enormous amount of energy, but it can be done and it will be a, undoubtedly a solution to a lot of the w- water problems. Much more recycling, carbon removal from the atmosphere, also energy intensive, but if it's cheap and uh, sustainable, bring it on. And then, environmentally friendly mass mining, uh, environmentally friendly manufacturing of a lot of next generation materials. And then he goes on, how about heating and cooling? It might be possible to manipulate temperatures outdoors. So Denmark in January and Dubai in August would no longer be so unbearable. Wow. Eventually more flying would be automated. Robots would become far more plentiful. Cheap energy would also make supercomputing more available, crypto more convenient, and nanotechnology more likely. Technologies to remove methane and carbon from the air are also likely to be more feasible and affordable. So then he goes into fusion power, which uh, Tom Friedman did as well. And also he's all in on geothermal electricity which is, as he says, poised for a big expansion, especially in the Western United States. He says, the reality of cheap electricity, not 30 or 50 years in the future, but in the coming decade is starting to sink in. This is really happening. And then he goes into, this is only one part of it. The other part is storage and batteries, which, they're dropping in co- dropped in cost 90% over the past decade. He makes the case that the materials for batteries and the technology are con- gonna continue. There's the shortages are temporary um, and that this, will def- this energy, these, these two energy revolutions, the sustainable creation of energy and the storage of energy will, uh, are happening right now before our eyes and they will define the decade. So that's encouraging and uh, you know, I like to see somebody lay it out because I, um, I don't always understand it. So then he goes on and I'm not gonna uh, uh, really get into these other categories, but I would recommend that you check them out. You can get the, you can, I think you can read the article for nothing before they even bother you about it. But then you can also subscribe for nothing if you want. Uh, so he talks about biotech, which you know, uh, these, these brain uh, interfaces with uh, uh, computers, and I, th- when I read stuff like that, he talks about using animal organs in humans. Um, I I think I'm glad that we only get about 80 years. <laughs> you know, I can only I can only go so far before uh, you know it starts getting outside of my circle. of I don't want to do that. Uh, so you know. Dying uh, and maybe pressing reset is not such a bad idea. So brain computer interfaces and artificial intelligence, gene synthesis, just goes on and on and on. And again, very, very well researched, very well argued. The guy is for real. And um, I feel like he's a find. So I'm gonna check him out. It's like, I I guess it was last week, was it, the week before, uh, actually, I think it's the Daily Evolver that we're publishing today. I talked about an article that I saw where these social researchers uh, tease apart the differentiation that is happening in the political left with the woke versus, as they put it, anti-woke left. And, um, you know, it's, And then they basically just lay out in good faith, both of their positions on 13 different categories. And it's just such a lovely exposition of de facto integral thinking. Again, I don't know whether these authors know anything about it, but it's, you know, my job is to point it out when I see it and I'm seeing it there and I'm seeing it here. So that'll do us for today. Thank you again for tuning into This Week in the News. I'm Jeff Salzman. Thanks to the Institute for Cultural Evolution. Find out more of my stuff on Daily Evolver. Also, the YouTube and Twitter and all that good stuff. All right? Okay. Thanks, folks. See you next week.